This week's reading for Transfiguration Sunday comes out of Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 43. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen, listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. They kept silent and in those days told no one of any of the things that they had seen. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. Just then, a man from the crowd shouted, Teacher, I beg you, look at my son. He is, only, he is my only child. Suddenly a spirit seizes him, and all at once he shrieks. It throws him into convulsions, and he foams at the mouth. It mauls him and will scarcely leave him. I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, you faithless and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon dashed him to the ground in convulsions. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the greatness of God. The word of the Lord. Well, people of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. Recently, I was on vacation just this past week. And let me tell you, it was wonderful. We got out of the cold of the upper Midwest. We actually hopped on board a cruise ship. We went across the Gulf of Mexico down into a couple of ports in Mexico. Now, if you've ever been on a cruise, and maybe even if you haven't been on a cruise, you are probably familiar with the various aspects of things that you can do in port. They call them excursions, things that you get to go and do and experience. Now, one of the excursions that we did when we came into port in a place called Costa Maya was to go and visit Mayan ruins. Now, the spot that we went to, it's got a specific Mayan name. Don't ask me to say it because I can't do it, but we went to visit this, this, the ruins of, of this ancient community, this ancient city that had been part of the Mayan culture, but had been abandoned, had been, had been empty and reclaimed really by the, the jungle around it many, many centuries ago. Now, when you think about the ruins of ancient civilizations from Latin America, maybe you think of the very tall step structures that were the Incan temples. The Mayan temples were similar. They kind of definitely had that same, same pyramid look to them, although they're not quite shaped the same. They're, they're a little bit different. But that's what we went to see. This site had been discovered by archaeologists quite a long time ago, about early in the 20th century. And through the course of a lot of work and a lot of restoration, and more importantly, a lot of excavation, all this extraordinary effort went into reclaiming it and bringing that which was hiding under the surface out. 
This was something that was really amazing to me, and I really appreciated the guide that we had with us who kind of told us some of that history of the way that it was, it, that these structures were revealed. That when this place was found, none of them were visible. The stonework that perhaps we think of when we consider these, these images in our mind, they were not visible because the earth had begun to reclaim that after it had been abandoned. This is especially true in jungles. So there was dirt and there was plant life and there was debris, all kinds of stuff covering over these amazing structures. And from what the guide told us, they were simply, they looked like hills. But gradually, over the course of all this effort, those amazing pyramid structures were revealed. That which was always present, but hiding underneath, became visible. It was interesting to hear him talk about it, and then he also pointed out another location that was right next to one of these temples that was still unclaimed, that was still covered up. And if you look at it, you just thought it was a tree-covered hill. But he told us that underneath, they anticipate and they expect that there is another structure just waiting to be brought to light. Now that idea of something present and yet being revealed, that is present in this scripture for today, the story of the transfiguration. Now, I love this story. I love it. I think it's amazing. And yet it's full of wonder. And it kind of leaves us scratching our head when this moment happens that Jesus invites some of the disciples into. We're in the season of Epiphany. Now, as we've already been talking about, these are ways that the Messiah, the identity of Messiah is revealed in Jesus. Sometimes it's others who are speaking about him or pointing him out to others. Sometimes it's happening through the miracles and the preaching and the proclamation. Sometimes it's even the very voice of God that is pointing all these things out. And I think the same thing is going on today. This one's just ramping it up one step farther. Now, as this is going on, where we're at in Luke's gospel, we're about midway through at this point. The ministry's been going on for a while, and there have been times when Jesus has intentionally whittled down the crowd to specific people that he wants to have experienced this. Sometimes it's, it's, it's all of his followers, sometimes it's the 12 disciples, and sometimes it's who I call the big three, Peter and James and John, and that's the case today. He invites those three guys, and together they go up on this mountain. Now, folks, I visited the Holy Land a few years back, and the mountain where they believe that this happened, it's definitely up high above a very large level plain. And as you're going up this high mountain, boy, it all stretches out underneath you. And I can only imagine that by the time they walked up this incredible mountain, they were winded and they were tired. No wonder we hear in the story that Peter and James and John are weighed down with sleep. Fortunately, they stay awake, though, because they witness this amazing moment. They've gone to the top of the mountain, and we hear that they're praying. And in the midst of their praying, Jesus is transfigured. Now, this is a really, really fancy word that basically makes it sound like he undergoes some sort of change. We don't know exactly what happens other than his face begins to shine. We hear that his clothing becomes dazzling white. In fact, the translation actually talks about his clothes become white like the flash of lightning, which, by the way, is really bright if you've ever looked at lightning. But somehow he is changed. And it seems in this moment, that which is divine about Jesus, who, keep in mind, 
fully man and fully God all at the same time. But it seems like the divine is shining through. It is being revealed through this extraordinary thing, this extraordinary moment, that which is hidden is being revealed. Peter, James, and John witness it. What's even more amazing in this moment is all of a sudden these two figures pop up, Moses and Elijah. Now, I don't know how they're identified, but somehow Peter seems to know who they are. Maybe they had name tags. I don't know. But either way, we hear that, J, that, that Moses and Elijah, these Old Testament figures, these important people from way back in the ancient history of the Jewish culture, the one who had led the exodus of the Israelites out of Egypt, and one of the major, major prophets from a little bit later on in their history, these two important figures show up and they are talking with Jesus. What I appreciate about Luke's account is that we hear the subject of their conversation. Luke is the only one that tells us this, even though this story pops up in the other gospels. We hear that they're speaking to Jesus about his departure, which will be happening in Jerusalem. Whatever else is going on in this amazing moment, this transfiguration of Jesus and the appearance of these two important figures, whatever it is that Peter and James and John are witnessing, it seems to have an effect and they don't know what's going on. They struggle to make heads or tails of this and I can't say that I blame them. They were witnessing that which we can only read about and we have trouble understanding and perhaps picturing what's happening. And I can only imagine that whatever it was that was going on, they had trouble ultimately describing it. Sometimes things are like that. Sometimes when the divine shows up, it's a head scratcher. But regardless of that, we hear that they're talking, Jesus and Moses and Elijah, they're talking about his departure, which will happen in Jerusalem. I find myself wondering, what is it about this moment that catches Peter's attention so much that he makes this oddball statement without thinking, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let's put up three tents, one for you and one for Moses and Elijah. It seems to be saying, hey, let's stay here in the midst of this amazing moment up here on this mountain. I really find myself wondering, what was he thinking? Is Peter excited by what he's seeing? Is he wanting to hold on to this moment, to stay in this moment like any amazing moment that we experience? Is he not wanting to leave it and that's why he wants to stay? Or is something else at play? We hear the con their conversation is about Jesus' departure. And immediately before this passage, Jesus and Peter have been talking about how Jesus is the Messiah. And Jesus, for the first time, says, and here's what that looks like. I'm going to go to Jerusalem where I will be betrayed, I will be tortured, and I will be killed. So maybe, as they're talking about that on the mountain, maybe Peter remembers and thinks, I don't want that to happen. Let's stay here, because here... He's safe. We don't know. All we know is that in this moment, Peter wants to stay there. And we can assume that James and John probably do too, but that's not the end of the story. Suddenly, as Peter is saying this, this cloud envelops them. 
I can only imagine how thick the cloud is. Perhaps they lose sight of everything, but this big booming voice comes out, the voice of God. This is my beloved son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And with that, boom, it's over. The cloud seems to be gone. Moses and Elijah are gone. There's only Jesus. Maybe he still looks different and transfigured. Maybe he looks normal again. We don't know, but the moment seems to be over. And Jesus leads them back down the mountain. Those mountaintop experiences, those amazing moments, they don't last, do they? But perhaps that's what makes them special. Just like the vacation that I was just on, our last day, my family and I were talking, we're like, oh, we don't want it to be over because it was so much of a wonderful experience. It was a great, great experience. But what makes them special is the fact that they don't last that they do come to an end, and then we go back into the midst of our regular day-to-day life. For Jesus and the three disciples, as well as the other disciples, they go back into ministry. We hear at the tail end, the back portion of our story, Jesus is right back at it again, performing another healing, performing an exorcism, and he seems to be a little bit frustrated with it. We don't know why. We don't know why why he's thinking what he's thinking or why he makes the statement that he makes, but he goes right back into ministry. There's this amazing moment that he was every bit a part of, that the three disciples bear witness to, but then they all come back down. Our life as followers of Christ is much the same way. We are invited into these moments as well through the power of the scriptures and the power of the Holy Spirit acting within us to make them real in our minds. But God leads us somewhere else. God brings us back into the amazing work. Now, sometimes that work is wonderful, but sometimes that work is really, really hard. And I find myself wondering, what is it that maybe God is inviting us into right now? When Jesus went up that mountain, that which was present but hidden, his divinity came shining through. Those Mayan ruins were hidden under the surface, but they were still present. And through extraordinary work, it came to light as well. So what is it that's going on in our world today, in our lives today, that perhaps God is using to reveal something new to us? Let's face it, we're in the midst of difficult times. We're in the midst of ongoing hardship, ongoing frustrations, a lot of news out there that's difficult to deal with. And perhaps we're wondering, how long is this going to last? What's going to happen? What's going to be ultimately revealed? And we don't know the answer to that yet. And you know what? Maybe that's okay. Maybe all we can do is be faithful to follow the lead of the one who has promised to never, ever abandon. There's a subtle thing that happens when the voice of God shows up, and I really appreciate it. This is my son. This is my chosen one. Let us remember and cling to the hope that we have, that God has claimed us as well. This is our baptismal identity, that through the waters of baptism, God claims us as beloved child, just like Jesus. That's a distinction that we share. I don't know how it all works, but I do believe that it is made possible through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, which we hear will be accomplished at Jerusalem. May we cling to that hope 
in the midst of hard times, as we wait for that which is difficult and extraordinarily being slowly revealed to us through the invitation of God, may we hold on to that hope that God will be with us through the extraordinary, through the mountaintops, and through the hard difficulties of our day-to-day life.